Now, for the first time in his 12 years of life, Jonas felt separate, different. He remembered what the chief elder had said, that his training would be alone and apart. But his training had not yet begun, and already, upon leaving the auditorium, he felt the apartness. Holding the folder she had given him, he made his way through the throng, looking for his family unit and for Asher. People moved aside for him. They watched him. He thought he could hear whispers. Ash, he called, spotting his friend near the rows of bicycles. Ride back with me. Sure. Asher smiled his usual smile, friendly and familiar. But Jonas felt a moment of hesitation from his friend and uncertainty. Congratulations, Asher said. You too, Jonas replied. It was really funny when she told about the smacks. You got more applause than almost anybody else. The other new twelves clustered nearby, placing their folders carefully into the carrying containers on the backs of the bikes. In each dwelling tonight, they would be studying the instructions for the beginning of their training. Each night, for years, the children had memorized the required lessons for school, often yawning with boredom. Tonight, they would all begin eagerly to memorize the rules for their adult assignments. Congratulations, Asher, someone called. Then that hesitation again. You too, Jonas. Asher and Jonas responded with congratulations to their groupmates. Jonas saw his parents watching him from the place where their own bicycles were waiting. Lily had already been strapped into her seat. He waved. They waved back, smiling, but he noticed that Lily was watching him solemnly, her thumb in her mouth. He rode directly to his dwelling, exchanging only small jokes and unimportant remarks with Asher. See you in the morning, recreation director, he called, dismounting by his door as Asher continued on. Right, see you, Asher called back. Once again, there was just a moment when things weren't quite the same, weren't quite as they had always been through the long friendship. Perhaps he had imagined it. Things couldn't change with Asher. The evening meal was quieter than usual. Lily chattered about her plans for volunteer work. She would begin, she said, at the nurturing center, since she was already an expert at feeding Gabriel. I know, she added quickly when her father gave her a warning glance. I won't mention his name. I know I'm not supposed to know his name. I can't wait for tomorrow to come, she said happily. Jonas sighed uneasily. I can, he murmured. You've been greatly honored, his mother said. Your father and I are very proud. It's the most important job in the community, father said. But just the other night, you said that the job of making assignments was the most important. Mother nodded. This is different. It's not a job, really. I never thought, never expected. She paused. There's only one receiver. But the chief elder said that they made a selection before and that it failed. What was she talking about? Both of his parents hesitated. Finally, his father described the previous selection. It was very much as it was today, Jonas, the same suspense as 111 had been passed over when the assignments were given. Then the announcement when they singled out the one. Jonas interrupted. What was his name? His mother replied. Her, not his. It was a female. But we are never to speak the name or use it again for a new child. Jonas was shocked. A name designated 
not to be spoken indicated the highest degree of disgrace. What happened to her? He asked nervously, but his parents looked blank. We don't know, his father said uncomfortable, uncomfortably. We never saw her again. A silence fell over the room. They looked at each other. Finally, his mother, rising from the table, said, You've been greatly honored, Jonas, greatly honored. Alone in his sleeping room, prepared for bed, Jonas opened his folder at last. Some of the other twelves, he had noticed, had been given folders thick with printed pages. He imagined Benjamin, the scientific male in his group, beginning to read pages of rules and instructions with relish. He pictured Fiona smiling her gentle smile as she bent over the list of duties and methods that she would be required to learn in the days to come. But his own folder was startlingly close to empty. Inside, there was only a single printed sheet. He read it twice. Jonas, Receiver of Memory. One, go immediately at the end of the school hours each day to the annex entrance behind the house of the old and present yourself to the attendant. Two, go immediately to your dwelling at the conclusion of training hours each day. Three, from this moment, you are exempted from rules governing rudeness. You may ask any question of any citizen and you will receive answers. Four, do not discuss your training with any other member of the community, including parents and elders. Five, from this moment, you are prohibited from dream telling. Six, except for illness or injury unrelated to your training, do not apply for any medication. Seven, you are not permitted to apply for release. Eight, you may lie. Jonas was stunned. What would happen to his friendships? His mindless hours of playing ball or riding his bike along the river. Those had been happy and vital times for him. Were they to be completely taken from him now? The simple logistic instructions where to go and when were expected. Every 12 had to be told, of course, where and how to and when to report for training. But he was a little dismayed that his schedule left no time, apparently, for recreation. The exemption from rudeness startled him. Reading it again, however, he realized that it didn't compel him to be rude. It simply allowed him the option. He was quite certain he would never take advantage of it. He was so completely, so thoroughly accustomed to courtesy within the community that the thought of asking another citizen an intimate question of calling someone's attention to an area of awkwardness was unnerving. The prohibition of dream-telling, he thought, would not be a real problem. He dreamed so rarely that the dream-telling did not come easily to him anyway, and he was glad to be excused from it. He wondered briefly, though, how to deal with it at the morning meal. What if he did dream? Should he simply tell his family unit, as he did so often anyway, that he hadn't? That would be a lie. Still, the final rule said, well, he wasn't quite ready to think about the final rule on the page. The restriction of medication unnerved him. Medication was always available to citizens, even to children, through their parents. When he had crushed his finger in the door, he had quickly, gasping into the speaker, notified his mother. She had hastily requisitioned relief of pain medication, which had been promptly delivered to his dwelling. Almost instantly, the excruciating pain in his hand had diminished 
to the throb, which was now all he could recall of the experience. Rereading number six, he realized that a crushed finger fell into the category of unrelated to training. So if it ever happened again, and he was quite certain it wouldn't, he had been very careful near heavy doors since the incident. He could still receive medication. The pill he took now each morning was also unrelated to training, so he would continue to receive the pill. But he remembered uneasily what the chief elder had said about the pain that would come with his training. She had called it indescribable. Jonas swallowed hard, trying without success to imagine what such pain might be like with no medication at all, but it was beyond his comprehension. He felt no reaction to rule number seven at all. It had never occurred to him that under any circumstances ever he might apply for release. Finally, he steeled himself to read the final rule again. He had been trained since earliest childhood, since his earliest learning of language, never to lie. It was an integral part of the learning of precise speech. Once, when he had been a four, he had said, just prior to the midday meal at school, I'm starving. Immediately, he had been taken aside for a brief private lesson in language precision. He was not starving. It was pointed out. He was hungry. No one in the community was starving, had ever been starving, would ever be starving. To say starving was to speak a lie. An unintentioned lie, of course, but the reason for precision of language was to ensure that unintentional lies were never uttered. Did he understand that? They asked him. And he had. He had never, within his memory, been tempted to lie. Asher did not lie. Lily did not lie. His parents did not lie. No one did. Unless... Now, Jonas had a thought that he had never had before. This new thought was frightening. What if others, adults, had, upon becoming twelves, received in their instructions the same terrifying sentence? What if they had all been instructed, you may lie? His mind reeled, now empowered to ask questions of utmost rudeness and promised answers, he could conceivably, though it was almost unimaginable, ask someone, some adult, his father perhaps, do you lie? But he would have no way of knowing if the answer he received were true. Chapter 10 I go in here, Jonas. Fiona told him when they reached the door of the House of the Old after parking their bicycles in the designated area. I don't know why I'm nervous, she confessed. I've been here so often before. She turned her folder over in her hands. Well, everything's different now, Jonas reminded her. Even the nameplates on our bikes. Fiona laughed. During the night, the nameplate of each new 12 had been removed by the maintenance crew and replaced with the style that indicated citizen in training. I don't want to be late, she said hastily, and started up the steps. If we finish at the same time, I'll ride home with you. Jonas nodded, waved to her, and headed around the building toward the annex, a small winged attachment to the back. He certainly did not want to be late for his first day of training either. The annex was very ordinary, its door unremarkable. He reached for the heavy handle, then noticed a buzzer on the wall. So he buzzed instead. Yes, the voice came through a small speaker above the buzzer. It's uh, Jonas. I'm the new, I mean, come in, 
a click indicated that the door had been unlatched. The lobby was very small and contained only a desk at which a female attendant sat working on some papers. She looked up when he entered. Then, to his surprise, she stood. It was a small thing, the standing, but no one had ever stood automatically to acknowledge Jonas's presence before. Welcome, receiver of memory, she said respectfully. Oh, please, he replied uncomfortably. Call me Jonas. She smiled, pushed a button, and he heard a click that unlocked the door to the left. You may go right in, she told him. Then she seemed to notice his discomfort and to realize its origin. No doors in the community were locked, ever. None that Jonas knew of, anyway. The locks were simply to ensure the receiver's privacy, because he needs concentration, she explained. It would be difficult if citizens wandered in, looking for the Department of Bicycle Repair or something. Jonas laughed, relaxing a little. The woman seemed very friendly, and it was true, in fact, that it was a joke throughout the community, that the Department of Bicycle Repair, an unimportant little office, was relocated so often that no one ever knew where it was. There is nothing dangerous here, she told him. But, she added, glancing at the wall clock, he doesn't like to be kept waiting. Jonas hurried through the door and found himself in a comfortably furnished living area. It was not unlike his own family unit's dwelling. Furniture was standing throughout the community. Practical, sturdy, the function of each piece was clearly defined. A bed for sleeping, a table for eating, a desk for studying. All of those things were in the spacious room, though each was slightly different from those in his own dwelling. The fabrics on the upholstered chairs and sofa were slightly thicker and more luxurious. The table legs were not straight like those at home, but slender and curved, with a small curved decoration at the foot. The bed in the alcove at the far end of the room was draped with a splendid cloth embroidered over its entire surface with intricate designs. But the most conspicuous difference was the books. In his own dwelling, there were the necessary reference volumes that each household contained, a dictionary and the thick community volume, which contained descriptions of every office, factory, building, and committee. And the book of rules, of course. The books in his own dwelling were the only books that Jonas had ever seen. He had never known that other books existed. But this room's walls were completely covered by bookcases filled, which reached to the ceiling. There must have been hundreds, perhaps thousands of books, their titles embossed in shiny letters. Jonas stared at them. He couldn't imagine what the thousands of pages contained. Could there be rules beyond the rules that governed the community? Could there be more descriptions of offices and factories and committees? He had only a second to look around because he was aware that the man sitting in a chair beside the table was watching him. Hastily, he moved forward, stood before the man, bowed slightly, and said, I'm Jonas. I know. Welcome, receiver of memory. Jonas recognized the man. He was the elder who had seemed separate from the others at the ceremony, though he was dressed in the same special clothing that only elders wore. Jonas looked self-consciously into the pale eyes that mirrored his own. Sir, I apologize for my lack of understanding. He waited, but the man did not give the standard accepting apology response. After a moment, Jonas went on. But I thought, I mean, I think... 
he corrected, reminding himself that if precision of language were ever to be important, it was certainly important now in the presence of this man. That you are the receiver of memory. I'm only, well, I was only assigned, I mean, selected yesterday. I'm not anything at all. Not yet. The man looked at him thoughtfully and silently. It was a look that combined interest, curiosity, concern, and perhaps a little sympathy as well. Finally, he spoke. Beginning today, this moment, at least to me, you are the receiver. I have been the receiver for a long time, a very, very long time. You can see that, can't you? Jonas nodded. The man was wrinkled, and his eyes, though piercing in their unusual lightness, seemed tired. The flesh around them was darkened into shadowed circles. I can see that you are very old, Jonas responded with respect. The old were always given the highest respect. The man smiled. He touched the sagging flesh on his own face with amusement. I am not actually as old as I look, he told Jonas. This job has aged me. I know I look as, as if I should be scheduled for release very soon, but actually, I have a good deal of time left. I was pleased, though, when you were selected. It took them a long time. The failure of the previous selection was ten years ago, and my energy is starting to diminish. I need what strength I have remaining for your training. We have hard and painful work to do, you and I. Please sit down, he said, and gestured toward the nearby chair. Jonas lowered himself onto the soft, cushioned seat. The man closed his eyes and continued speaking. When I became a twelve, I was selected as you were. I was frightened, as I'm sure you are. He opened his eyes for a moment and peered at Jonas, who nodded. The eyes closed again. I came to this very room to begin my training. It was such a long time ago. The previous receiver seemed just as old to me as I do to you. He was just as tired as I am today. He sat forward suddenly, opened his eyes, and said, You may ask questions. I have so little experience in describing this process. It is forbidden to talk of it. I know, sir. I have read the instructions, Jonas said. So I may neglect to make things as clear as I should, the man chuckled. My job is important and has enormous honor, but that does not mean I am perfect. And when I tried before to train a successor, I failed. Please ask any questions that will help you. In his mind, Jonas had questions, a thousand, a million questions, as many questions as there were books lining the walls. But he did not ask one, not yet. The man sighed, seeming to put his thoughts in order. Then he spoke again, simply stated, he said, although it's not really simple at all, my job is to transmit to you all the memories I have within me, memories of the past. Sir, Jonas said tentatively, I would be very interested to hear the story of your life and to listen to your memories. I apologize for interrupting, he added quickly. The man waved his hand impatiently. No apologies in this room. We haven't time. Well, Jonas went on, uncomfortably aware that he might be interrupting again. I am really interested. I don't mean that I'm not, but I don't exactly understand why it's so important. I could do some adult job in the community, and in my recreation time, I could come and listen to the stories from your childhood. I'd like that. Actually, 
he added. I've done that already in the house of the old. The old like to tell about their childhoods, and it's always fun to listen. The man shook his head. No, no, he said. I'm not being clear. It's not my past, not my childhood that I must transmit to you. He leaned back, resting his head against the back of the upholstered chair. It's the memories of the whole world, he said with a sigh. Before you, before me, before the previous receiver, and generations before him. Jonas frowned. The whole world, he asked. I, I don't understand. Do you mean not just us, not just the community? Do you mean elsewhere too? He tried in his mind to grasp the concept. I'm sorry, sir. I, I don't understand exactly. Maybe I'm not smart enough. I don't know what you mean when you say the whole world or generations before him. I thought there was only us. I thought there was only now. There's much more. There's all that goes beyond, all that is elsewhere, all that goes back, back, and back. I received all of those when I was selected, and here in this room, all alone, I re-experienced them again and again. It is how wisdom comes and how we shape our future. He rested for a moment, breathing deeply. I am so weighed with them, he said. Jonas felt a terrible concern for the man suddenly. It's as if... The man paused, seeming to search his mind for the right words of description. It's like going downhill through deep snow on a sled, he said finally. At first, it's exhilarating, the speed, the sharp, clear air. But then the snow accumulates, builds up on the runners, and you slow. You have to push hard to keep going, and... He shook his head suddenly and peered at Jonas. That meant nothing to you, did it? He asked. Jonas was confused. I didn't understand it, sir. Of course you didn't. You don't know what snow is, do you? Jonas shook his head. Or a sled? Runners? No, sir, Jonas said. Downhill? The term means nothing to you? Nothing, sir. Well, it's a place to start. I've been wondering how to begin. Move to the bed and lie face down. Remove your tunic first. Jonas did so a little apprehensively. Beneath his bare chest, he felt the soft folds of the magnificent cloth that covered the bed. He watched as the man rose and moved first to the wall where the speaker was. It was the same sort of speaker that occupied a place in every dwelling, but one thing about it was different. This one had a switch, which the man deftly snapped to the end that said, Off! Jonas almost gasped out loud to have the power to turn the speaker off. It was an astonishing thing. Then the man moved with surprising quickness to the corner where the bed was. He sat on the chair beside Jonas, who was motionless, waiting for what would happen next. Close your eyes. Relax. This will not be painful. Jonas remembered that he was allowed, that he had even been encouraged to ask questions. What are you going to do, sir? he asked, hoping that his voice didn't betray his nervousness. I am going to transmit the memory of snow, the old man said, and placed his hands on Jonas's bare back. Chapter 11. Jonas felt nothing unusual at first. He felt only the light touch of the old man's hands on his back. He tried to relax, to breathe evenly. The room was absolutely silent, and for a moment Jonas feared that he might disgrace himself now on the first day of his training 
by falling asleep. Then he shivered. He realized that the touch of the hands felt suddenly cold. At the same instant, breathing in, he felt the air change and his breath was very cold. He licked his lips and in doing so, his tongue touched the suddenly chilled air. It was very startling, but he was not at all frightened now. He was filled with energy and he breathed again, feeling the sharp intake of frigid air. Now, too, he could feel cold air swirling around his entire body. He felt it blow against his hands where they lay at his sides and over his back. The touch of the man's hand seemed to have disappeared. Now he became aware of an entirely new sensation. Pinpricks? No, because they were soft and without pain. Tiny, cold, feather-like feelings peppered his body and face. He put out his tongue again and caught one of the dots of cold upon it. It disappeared from his awareness instantly, but he caught another and another. The sensation made him smile. One part of his consciousness knew that he was still lying there on the bed in the annex room, yet another separate part of his being was up right now in a sitting position, and beneath him he could feel that he was not on the soft decorated bed covering at all, but rather seated on a flat hard surface, his hands now held, though at the time they were still motionless at his sides, a rough damp rope. And he could see, though his eyes were closed, he could see a bright whirling torrent of crystals in the air around him, and he could see them gather on the backs of his hands like cold fur. His breath was visible. Beyond, through the swirl of what he now somehow perceived was the thing the old man had spoken of, snow, he could look out and down a great distance. He was up high someplace. The ground was thick with the furry snow, but he sat slightly above it on a hard, flat object. Sled, he knew abruptly. He was sitting on a thing called sled, and the sled itself seemed to be poised at the top of a long, extended mound that rose from the very land where he was. Even as he thought the word mound, his new consciousness told him, hill. Then the sled, with Jonas himself upon it, began to move through the snowfall, and he understood instantly that now he was going downhill. No voice made an explanation. The experience explained itself to him. His face cut through the frigid air as he began to descend, moving through the substance called snow on the vehicle called sled, which propelled itself on what he now knew without a doubt to be runners. Comprehending all of those things as he sped downward, he was free to enjoy the breathless glee that overwhelmed him, the speed, the clear cold air, the total silence, the feeling of balance and excitement and peace. Then, as the angle of incline lessened, as the mound, the hill, flattened nearing the bottom, the sled's forward motion slowed. The snow was piled now around it, and he pushed with his body, moving it forward, not wanting the exhilarating ride to end. Finally, the obstruction of the piled snow was too much for the thin runners of the sled, and he came to a stop. He sat there for a moment, panting, holding the rope in his cold hands. Tentatively, he opened his eyes, not his snow hill sled eyes, for they had been open throughout, throughout the strange ride. He opened his ordinary eyes and saw that he was still on the bed and that he had not moved at all. The old man, still beside the bed, was watching him. How do you feel? he asked. Jonas sat up and, and tried to answer honestly. Surprised, 
he said after a moment. The old man wiped his forehead with a sleeve. Phew, he said. It was exhausting. But you know, even transmitting that tiny memory to you, I think it lightened me just a little. Do you mean... You did say I could ask questions. The man nodded, encouraging his question. Do you mean that now you don't have the memory of it, of, of that ride on the sled, anymore? That's right, a little weight off this old body. But it was such fun, and now you don't have it anymore. I, I took it from you. But the old man laughed. All I gave you was one ride on one sled and one snow on one hill. I have a whole world of them in my memory. I could give them to you one by one, a thousand times, and there would still be more. Are you saying that I, I mean, we could do it again? Jonas asked. I'd really like to. I, I think I could steer by pulling the rope. I didn't try this time be because it was so new. The old man laughing shook his head. Maybe another day for a treat, but there's no time really just to play. I only wanted to begin by showing you how it works. Now, he said, turning businesslike. Lie back down. I want to... Jonas did. He was eager for whatever experience would come next. But he had suddenly so many questions. Why don't we have snow and sleds and hills? He asked. And when and when did we in the past? Did my parents have sleds when they were young? Did you? The old man shrugged and gave a short laugh. No, he told Jonas. It's a very distant memory. That's why it was so exhausting. I had to tug it forward for from many generations back. It was given to me when I was a new receiver, and the previous receiver had to pull it through a long time period, too. But what happened to those things, snow, and the rest of it? Climate control. Snow made growing food difficult, limited the agricultural periods, and unpredictable weather made transportation almost impossible at times. It wasn't a practical thing, so it became obsolete when we went to sameness. And hills, too he added. They made conveyance of goods unwieldy. Trucks, buses, slowed them down, so. He waved his hand as if a gesture had caused hills to disappear. Sameness, he concluded. Jonas frowned. I wish we had those things still, just now and then. The old man smiled. So do I, he said, but that choice is not ours. But sir, Jonas, Jonas suggested. Since you have so much power, the man corrected him. Honor, he said firmly. I have great honor. So will you. But you will find that that is not the same as power. Lie quietly now. Since we've entered into the topic of climate, let me give you something else. At this time, I'm not going to tell you the name of it because I want to test the receiving. You should be able to perceive the name without being told. I gave away snow and sled and downhill and runners by telling them to you in advance. Without being instructed, Jonas closed his eyes. He felt the hands on his back again. He waited. Now it came more quickly, the feelings. This time the hands didn't become cold, but instead began to feel warm on his body. They moistened a little. The warmth spread, extending across his shoulders, up his neck, to the side of his face. He could feel it through his clothed parts, too. A pleasant, all-over sensation, and when he licked his lips this time, the air was hot and heavy. 
He didn't move. There was no sled. His posture didn't change. He was simply alone someplace, out of doors, lying down, and the warmth came from far above. It was not as exciting as the ride through the snowy air, but it was pleasurable and comforting. Suddenly, he perceived the word for it, sunshine, perceived that it came from the sky. Then it ended. Sunshine, he said aloud, opening his eyes. Good. You did get the word. That makes my job easier. Not so much explaining. And it came from the sky. That's right, the old man said, just the way it used to. Before sameness, before climate control, Jonas added. The man laughed. You receive well and learn quickly. I'm very pleased with you. That's enough for today, I think. We're off to a good start. There was a question bothering Jonas. Sir, he said, the chief elder told me, she told everyone, and you told me too, that it would be painful. So I was a little scared, but it didn't hurt at all. I really enjoyed it. He looked quizzically at the old man. The man sighed. I started you with memories of pleasure. My previous failure gave me the wisdom to do that. He took a few deep breaths. Jonas, he said, it will be painful, but it need not be painful yet. I'm brave. I really am. Jonas sat up a little straighter. The old man looked at him for a moment. He smiled. I can see that he said. Well, since you asked the question, I think I have energy enough for one more transmission. Lie down once more. This will be the last today. Jonas obeyed cheerfully. He closed his eyes, waiting, and felt the hands again. Then he felt the warmth again, the sunshine again, coming from the sky of this other consciousness that was so new to him. This time, as he lay basking in the wonderful warmth, he felt the passage of time. His real self was aware that it was only a minute or two, but his other memory-receiving self felt hours pass in the sun. His skin began to sting. Restlessly, he moved one arm, bending it, and felt a sharp pain in the crease of his inner arm at the elbow. Ouch! he said loudly, and shifted on the bed. Ow! he said, wincing at the shift, and even moving his mouth to speak made his face hurt. He knew there was a word, but the pain, pain kept him from grasping for it. Then it ended. He opened his eyes, wincing with discomfort. It hurt, he told the man, and I couldn't get the word for it. It was sunburn, the old man told him. It hurt a lot, Jonas said, but I'm glad you gave it to me. It was interesting, and now I understand better what it meant, that there would be pain. The man didn't respond. He sat silently for a second. Finally, he said, Get up now. It's time for you to go home. They both walked to the center of the room. Jonas put his tunic back on. Goodbye, sir, he said. Thank you for my first day. The old man nodded to him. He looked drained and a little sad. Sir, Jonas said shyly. Yes, do you have a question? It's just that... I don't know your name. I thought you were the receiver, but you say that now I'm the receiver, so I don't know what to call you. The man had sat back in the comfortable upholstered chair. He moved his shoulders around as if to ease away an aching sensation. He seemed terribly weary. Call me the giver, 
he told Jonas. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. You have just heard chapters 9 through 11 of Lois Lowry's The Giver here at Carla Reads the Classics. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.